Great worship, Michael and the crew. Appreciate that. You know, um, I've often said that uh, we need to remember worship is more than just singing songs about God. It's a way that we come into God's presence. And so uh, many times that, that what you think is an emotional rush that you're feeling is, is the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in your heart. And it's, it's God uh, basking in those praises. It's God being pleased with us coming into his presence. And every time you come into the presence of God, it changes you a little bit. So that's part of the, the reason for worship. We're going to be talking this morning about new life in Christ. And uh, Paul is uh, in, in Romans 6. When Mark uh, Kring asked me if I, I would teach this weekend on uh, Wednesday, I immediately thought of Romans 6 as, as I prayed about it. I thought, what a, what a great opportunity to talk about our transformation into the image of Jesus Christ uh, when we're doing baptisms, which, which is, that, that is what that is a picture of. And so the visuals for this message will come at the end when we baptize people and, uh, and they tell their, their stories, some, some wonderful stories. But we're going to be talking today out of uh, Romans 6 and um, about new life in Christ. And what I like about Paul is he not only talks about the deep spiritual principles and uh, gives us an, an insight into the person of God and his attributes and how he works in our lives, but also talks about the practical implications. Uh, uh, if, th- if this is what you know about God, then how does that make a difference in the way that you live your life tomorrow morning, on, on Monday morning? And that's what we'll be talking about. Part of, of what that reminds me of is, uh, is chicken farming, actually. And now I know there are some accomplished chicken farmers here. I, I see the uh, I, I see Chester's upstairs there, and and uh, they are chicken farmers extraordinaire. But this chicken farmer uh, that I want to talk to you about is uh, a New York City businessman. Uh, you know, a high pressure, high profile, hundred mile an hour kind of a guy who wanted a simpler life. So he bought a place in upstate New York, and. Uh, the first thing he did was go into a feed store and say, I, I, I want 100 chicks. The storekeeper said, wow, 100, so many. Uh, you must be serious about this. He said, I am. I'm serious about the business of chicken farming, and I want to start a chicken farm up here. So he, he bought the 100 chicks, took them back to his new place. Now, a week later, he showed, up with a, he showed up again, and he said, I need another 100 chicks. The, the, storekeeper, the storekeeper said, um, Wow, you really are serious about chicken farming. He, he said, I, I, I am. If I can overcome uh, a minor wrinkle that I, I ran into, the guy said, are you having a problem? He said, well, I think I planted the first batch too close together. <laughs> you see, in the business of chicken farming, it, it, it's important to know a little bit about the basics before you start. In, in, a, in our lives as children of God, it, it's important to know something about the basics, uh, about how uh, God sees us, about how he works in our lives, and about what happens to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll be talking about today. You know, knowing how God sees us uh, changes lives. And Mark's been talking about uh, that a lot in Ephesians. When we see 
our standing before God, when we see the spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with in Christ Jesus, when we see in Ephesians 3.20, for example, the power that, that God has made available to us uh, through the Holy Spirit to, to live the life and to advance the kingdom, all of that. We'll be looking at some of that today in Romans 6 as well. Some of you knew our friend uh, Chet Thorne, who was uh, part of the men's ministry up until recently. Chet was, uh, Chet and Gail started attending last July. You may remember him. He was up on the stage with me on December 30, and we were talking about leading people to Christ. And uh, Chet went through a little role play with me about uh, how to lead somebody to Christ. He was uh, a big, rough-looking guy, and had a, he would freely admit that he had a demolition derby of a life. He had a string of failed relationships and, and estranged kids in various parts of the country. He had 20 years of substance abuse, and, and he, had, um, he was known as an angry uh, and a violent guy. Um, he, was, he would freely admit, he, for many years of his life, he was not a nice person. Fifteen years ago, he met Gail, and, and, uh, and most recently, he told me that he thought Gail saved his life, probably. Well, Chet uh, started attending the men's ministry in September, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. His life began to change radically, uh, so that other people noticed it, as a matter of fact. He was previously known as kind of angry and, and abrasive, and after uh, a few months of spending time in God's Word, studying with the other guys, and, and in prayer, uh, people around him started to notice the, the change in him. In fact, uh, he said, Gary, people tell me that I'm changing, I'm becoming nicer. <laughs> I, I said, Chet, that's what happens. The, the Holy Spirit of God within you is transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's how he works in our, in our lives. Well, for reasons known only to God, Chet's Chet's life ended suddenly on January 24 in a, in a truck crash. He was a truck driver down on I-94, and he was killed in that crash. And the following Wednesday, one of his co-workers, in fact, the guy he ran into the rear end of, uh, Chris Gregorovich, uh, called me up out of the blue, and he said, Gary, I, I need to come and talk to the men in the men's study because he said, I, I want you to know what a radical change there was in this guy's life. And, and he came and talked to the man, and, and one of the things he said was this. He said, you know, a year ago, he said, I, I would have said, and, and Chet was his friend. He said, a year ago, I would have said, Chet was the biggest jerk that I knew. He didn't use the word jerk, actually, but I don't want to use the same word this morning. <laughs> and, he, and he said, he was the biggest jerk I knew a year ago. But you know, now... I would have to say that he's the most loving and humble guy that I know. That's the power of the Spirit of God, changing people from the inside out. You see, what, what made the difference? Chet began to see himself the way God saw him, and it changed the way he lived. Chet finally understood at 58 years old that no one, no one, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace no matter what they've done. He understood the reality of 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. I, I talked to Gail between the services. She was here for the first service, and, and I said, uh, I, I know that when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Chad again. I know that when I see him, he'll be talking God's ear off because that, that's, what, that's what Chad was like. He was, he was a talker. So how do we become new people? And, and what happens to us when we do? Well, that's what Romans 6 is all about. What I'd like to do is, is read the first 14 verses this morning. And if you're following along with one of the Pew Bibles, you'll notice a little bit of a difference because I'm going to read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's what's going to be on the screen as well. So there'll be just a little bit of difference between that and the, and the New American Standard Version in the Pew there. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? This is Romans 6, 1 through 14. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In other words, the influence, our tendency to sin, uh, might be destroyed. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion or control over him. So the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Romans is the Apostle Paul's great explanation of God's plan to save us through Christ Jesus. He talks about the fact of our sin and our need to repent from it. In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes everybody here. The fact of God's love for us and, and Christ's sacrifice that came out of that love in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the fact of our standing before God. How does God see us? He, he says, once we come to Christ in faith, Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified or declared not guilty, that's what justified means. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 6 was in part a response to the Jewish criticism of Paul's message of grace. You see, Paul said that uh, 
in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he said, For by grace have you been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one could boast. Well, that was hard to swallow for many of the, the Jewish Christians even that he'd talked to because the Jews were steeped. They were brought up in a culture that said that there are uh, 613, 613 laws that you have to comply with in order to please God. And, and the degree to which you please God is the degree to which you can be in compliance with those laws. There, there was an external yardstick that, it, that every Jew, as they grew up, held up to their own life to, to see whether they were pleasing God or not. And, and so when Paul preached this message of grace, he said, no, it's not about your works. It's all about grace. It's a free gift that God has sent his son to die for you. The Jews push back and say, well, wait a minute. Without that external yardstick, without the law, won't everybody just descend into sin? Won't it be a license to sin? Uh, won't, be, won't, won't grace, that free gift, just be a license to sin? And Paul said no, and this is why. He says, we don't sin because Christ's death and resurrection changes fundamentally who we are and everything about the way that we relate to sin and death. You see, it makes a fundamental change in who we are as people. And that's, that's the difference. Two problems that, that we have before we come to Christ. Uh, number one is our sin, that, that we sin. We commit sins. And, and so one problem that God had to resolve with Christ's sacrifice was, was that we commit sins. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and the other problem is that before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are sinners by nature. You see, when Adam and Eve fell, when they committed the first sin in the garden, the, the human race, all of mankind was infected generation after generation with the disease of sin. In fact, Scripture says it even infected creation. And creation groans until that ultimate redemption uh, comes to it. So uh, not only the fact that we sin before Christ, but, but the fact that uh, before Christ... Our, our nature is to sin. Our constitutional predisposition is to sin apart from Christ. But Christ's death on the cross solves both problems. Forgiveness for our sins through Christ's shed blood and the destruction of that tendency to sin, our sinful nature, through the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ was the only sacrifice that would work. Um, our sin required a blood sacrifice and it required a sacrifice uh, of the perfect man, the sinless man. And, and so it had to be Jesus and it had to be his blood. And, and his blood uh, justifies us, as we read in, in uh, Romans 5, 9. Uh, Since therefore we've now been justified or, or declared not guilty by his blood, you see the blood does that, by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And the blood not only justifies us or results in God declaring us not guilty, it also cleanses us. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So that takes care of the first part of our problem, apart from Christ, our sins. We're, we're forgiven, we're declared not guilty, and we're cleansed. But what about the old nature? Well, the cross of Christ takes care of our old nature or our tendency to sin. That's what Paul tells us in verses 5 through 8. 
Romans 6 here. He says the cross of Christ was the only way to put our old nature to death and free us from the power of sin that we've been in bondage to. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by him, uh, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that, get this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that is our tendency to sin, might be brought to nothing, might be destroyed, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. You see, God declares that our experience is bound up with that of Christ. Once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he says your experience is bound up with that of Christ in the sense that when Christ died, your old nature died. The old Gary died. The old Sally died. The old Jeremy died. And and you're raised to, to life again and a new life that's capable of pleasing God. That's what that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Another version says a new creation. That's what being born again is all about. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. The old man has passed away. The old woman has passed away. Behold, new things have come. And that's how Paul says that we can have the power to live a different kind of a life. One of my favorite passages from Paul is Galatians 2.20 because it, it describes how that happens. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, he says his experience was bound up with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, the power of sin and death has been broken so that we no longer have to sin. And we become capable for the first time of having Jesus Christ live out his life through us. That accounts for the kind of life change you see in Chet Thorne. He was beginning to live out the life of Christ. And Christ was beginning to be evidenced through him. And that's what other people saw in his life. One of the first trademarks that you see when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ is the love of Christ. They're different in the way that they relate to the people around them. You start to see the love of Christ come out in their, in their lives. So the blood deals with what we've done, our sin. But the cross deal with, deals with who we are by nature. Two realities that we're left with. One is, uh, one is God's reality. Two realities and, and one, ch- one, one choice. Which reality will we, will we choose? God's reality is what he says about who we are after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that includes a fundamental relationship, a fundamental change in our relationship with sin and death. We no longer have the same relationship to sin and death that we had. We're set free from the control of sin in our lives. We no longer have to sin. You notice I didn't say we no longer sin. I said we no longer have to sin. We're no longer under the control of sin in, in a way that we were before. It becomes a choice. Sometimes we choose to sin, don't we? 
And there's forgiveness for that. Um, But it's not the same as it was. Paul says in Romans 6, 6 and 7, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that is our tendency towards sin, might be brought to nothing. In other words, it no longer has control over us. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has, set, has been set free from sin. And, and that's, how, that's why Paul can say that we will no longer encounter temptation that we can't overcome in the power of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But will with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I don't know about you, but when I find myself veering off in the weeds and and committing a sin, I look backwards and I realize that the way of escape was there. Every time, God, God provides the way of escape if we will just look for it. He will give you the power to overcome whatever temptation it is And he says right here, his promise is, the truth of God, the absolute truth is that he will never give you a temptation that you cannot overcome in his power and in his strength uh, as it flows out through your life. It's not that we won't be tempted. Men, the Victoria's Secret ad will still come on television. But the Holy Spirit, the difference is, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to look the other way. You see? And and that's how the power of God functions in our life. That's what Paul was talking about, living our new lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Eternal, and the same thing is true with, with, with death. Death is not the terrible threat that it was before we came to Christ. Uh, Paul says, uh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's gone when, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in, uh, in verses 8 and 9 that eternal life begins for the Christian not at the moment of death. Eternal life begins for the Christian at the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we have a new kind of a life within us and, and the power of the resurrection within us. And we live a new, a new kind of a life. Uh, uh, verses 8 and 9, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion or control over him. If that's true of Christ and our experience is bound up with that of Christ, what's true of us? Death has no control over us anymore either. And that's why Paul can say in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, He says, we grieve not as those who have no hope. King James Version says, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. Notice he didn't say we don't sorrow. Um, We do sorrow because there is the pain of separation and the pain of loss. Even though it's temporary, there is still that pain. And so we, we grieve. But Paul says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because we'll see that loved one again. We'll be with them in heaven. Death for the Christian is just stepping through a door into the amazing life with God that he has for us in heaven, experiencing the perfect love of God, being enveloped by the perfect love of God, the perfect peace, the perfect joy, the perfect happiness, the absence of pain and sadness 
the reunion with our loved ones, and then the amazing inheritance that God has promised us that we, don't even, we can't, can't even comprehend it right now. All of that. So where exactly is the downside for death as, as Christians? There's a temporary grief and a temporary loss. After that, it, it, it's all good. That's God's reality. That's, what, that's where he says we are as children of God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, that's what he says you have to look forward to. Then there's a false reality. Whatever, whatever is opposed to God's truth is a lie. It's a false reality. And, and Satan's agenda, folks, is to neutralize us by getting us to buy into his reality and deceiving us to live in that reality. Here's one of his lies. He, one of his lies is, I can't help but sin. After all, I'm only human. Lie number two. We're just doomed to be sinful people until we get to heaven. Lie number three. This, this is when Satan comes to, the, comes to us as the accuser. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That is, he comes at us and tries, and he ministers, the guilt, uh, he ministers guilt and condemnation. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, right? And that's what Satan uh, sends us, guilt and shame and condemnation. He tries to neutralize us under that load of unconfessed guilt and shame, sometimes for a lifetime, sometimes for a lifetime. But Romans 8, 1 is the truth of God where he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God, there is no condemnation. You've been declared not guilty forever and for all, all time. Satan tries to convince us, though, that we're the same pathetic losers that we always were. He's all about piling on uh, guilt and condemnation. Warren Wiersbe says, uh, too many of us as Christians are living in defeat. This is how he puts it. He says, too many Christians are betweeners. They live between Egypt and Canaan, saved but never satisfied. Or they live between Good Friday and Easter, believing in the cross but not entering into the power and the glory of the resurrection. Romans 6, 5 indicates that our union with Christ assures our future resurrection should we die. But Romans 6, 4 teaches that we share his resurrection power today. Today, we share his resurrection power. So which reality will you choose to live by? That's the question. For those of you who are uh, being baptized in just a few minutes, your reality is that we need you up in those changing rooms right now. <laughs> so this is your, your not-so-subtle cue for that. Which reality are we going to choose? God's reality or, or Satan's reality? If you think about it, folks, all of life, all of life is a series of choices between uh, the, what God says is truth and reality and, and everything else that's false. Satan says, for example, you're condemned, to, you're condemned to be a pathetic loser who will always be stuck in sin and guilt. Let me just... Uh, let me just read you. I, I was going to use the last half of this passage, but I want to read the whole works. I was going to read you one verse. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's addressing the church, and, and he's giving them a picture of how God sees them. But before that, he says this. Get, get this. He's talking to people in his church, 
He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now get this. He says, and such were some of you. He's talking to people within his own church. But he says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, that's God's reality. You can imagine what Satan would say to some of those folks. He would, he would, he would come to them and accuse them. Well, God doesn't want anything to do with you. Remember what you did back then? God's saying, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were redeemed. I see you as not guilty. That's the truth. That's the truth. Live that truth out. Satan says, life is filled with hardship, tragedy, and disappointment. And you have no choice but to spend your life in a constant state of worry and discouragement. But God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Satan says, you can never have enough money and things and there is no one else to depend on, so sacrifice your family and your life with God to pile up wealth so that you never have to go without. But God says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Satan says, there are lots of ways to God. God grades on the curve. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Satan says, you can't come to church unless you're holy enough. You've got to reach a thir- certain threshold. You've got to get yourself cleaned up because the church is a, a country club for holy people. God says, no. He says, I love you unconditionally and you are never beyond the reach of my grace. The church is a, an ER for broken people, not a, not a country club for, for holy people. It's simple, you see. What God says is true. What God says is true is reality. Everything else is a lie. So how do we live in God's reality? Well, first of all, we need to know. Uh, Paul says in verse 3, do you not know uh, to these folks in Romans? We, ne- we need to know who we are as God sees us. First of all, who we are as God sees us. We have to know the, the truth about who we are as God sees us, his power and his promises to us that are available to us so that we can live in the reality of that power and those promises. You see, culture says, our culture says that, that everything is relative, that, uh, that truth and reality are, are whatever we believe them to be, and that can change. And in, in fact, uh, truth and reality can be different for everyone. I talked to a young guy recently who said he didn't believe in God. He was an, an atheist. He thinks he's an atheist. I sense that the Holy Spirit's at work in his life, but he still thinks he's an atheist. And he said, said, I don't don't believe in God. And he said that in a way as if that somehow affects God's existence. And and I said, you know, 
the fact that you don't believe in God doesn't discourage him a bit. He's still pursuing you. The, the truth is, if you step off the edge of a roof, gravity will quickly become your reality, whether you believe in it or not. And, and the same thing is true with God. God is a reality whether we believe in him or not. And, and uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto every man once to die and after that the judgment. You see, we'll all stand before God and the only thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter in that moment is, is whether we have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, as, as our savior. One way to, to know God and know his reality is to spend regular time in God's word so that you can know his reality and live in his power. And the alternative is, is really ignorance and powerlessness in our lives before God as Christians. That's where Satan would like us to be. He'd like to neutralize us for instruments to be used by God for his purposes. The second thing after, after knowing is we have to reckon. And Paul says in, uh, in verse 11, he said, consider yourselves. But I like the word reckon better. The old King James Version uses the word reckon. Reckon is not, it doesn't mean like, uh, like the cowboy says, well, I reckon. It's not like, it's not that kind of reckon. A reckon is it's a, actually an accounting term. And it means to consider it reality. That this is a reality, a fact that you can take to the bank. And, and so Paul says, reckon it so. We need to reckon God's truth as our new reality. We, we, it's not enough to know about it. There are people that know about Jesus Christ, that he was a historical figure, and there are people that know even that he came as a sacrifice for sin, but they don't reckon it to be true for themselves. And that's where salvation comes. That's where that spiritual transaction comes in. When we say, when we recognize that he didn't just come as a sacrifice, he came for me, as a sacrifice for me. And, and that's when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart and begins remodeling us from the inside out. Reckon yourselves, in verse 11, to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You notice that God doesn't say, I I want you to uh, feel like you're dead to sin. I want you to imagine what it might be like. I want you to think about what it might be like if you were dead to sin. No, he says, you are dead to sin, and I want you to act like it. Thirdly, we need, to, we need to present ourselves daily to God as His instruments for our use. We need to know, we need to reckon it as truth, and then we need to present ourselves as instruments for God's use. This is the practical application. If you were in a business meeting, this, these would be the action items. Paul says it's not enough to simply know truth and reckon truth. We have to act on it. And, and in verses 12 through 14, he says, he says, Therefore, do not let... Sin reign in your mortal body. You see, you have a choice. He, he said, do not let it reign. You have control now. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. In other words, sin is a choice now. We're not under the control of sin anymore. We're not under the dominion of sin. So if you look too long at the Victoria's Secret ad, you follow that progression described in James 1 where desire translates into 
or excuse me, where temptation translates into desire and desire translates into sin. Uh, there's, a, there's a sequence of events that takes place there. If you engage in activity that you know you're not supposed to on the, on the internet, if you engage in gossip, if you speak in anger, if you go someplace you don't belong or participate in something you know is wrong, if you fill in the blank, whatever sin it, has, it, it is that uh, clings to you, if you're engaged in uh, sexual activity outside your marriage, if you're entangled in substance abuse, if you disrespect your parents or your spouse, you're offering yourself as an instrument of wickedness in, the terms, of, in terms of Romans 6, 12 through 14 here. If, on the other hand, you begin each day by confessing your sin and repenting from sin. God's promise in 1 John 1, 9, out of his grace, he says, he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We need to keep short accounts with God in that way so that, so that, um, he, so that we don't short-circuit our, our relationship with him and the power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. If you do that, you're presenting yourself as a, to God as an instrument of righteousness. If you're spending a little time in God's word and asking him to impress it on your heart, you are presenting yourself as an instrument of God's righteousness. If you're praying to give God your concerns for the day and asking him to fill you with his spirit and empower you for whatever challenges are ahead of you during the day and for the people whose lives he will he will bring into your orbit that you can touch. Uh, then, then you are presenting yourself as an instrument of righteousness. If you are alert from, from day to day and moment to moment for the opportunities that God brings into your life, uh, the divine appointments, if you will, that the people that, that he, he has divinely ordained that he wants you to reach out and touch in some way, then you are presenting yourself as an instrument of righteousness. If, if you're praying with somebody who's hurting, if you're demonstrating the love of Christ with some small act of kindness, if you give an encouraging word to somebody who needs one, if, men, you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5, then you are presenting yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Offering every part of ourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. Let me make clear, we can't live this kind of life in our own power. In fact, and if you read ahead to Romans 7, you'll find that it's a, it's a story of Paul's frustration trying to do that. He says, I, I can't figure this out. It isn't working. And, I, and he gets frustrated. But you read ahead to Romans 8, and, and the conclusion he comes to is that we were never intended to live that kind of a life in our own power. The Holy Spirit is the only way it happens. And, and that's what accounts for the life change in Chet Thorne. It's the power of God in his life. It isn't, it isn't Chet trying to work harder to be a, a better person. It, it's the Holy Spirit of God transforming him as, he's, as he positions him, as he spends time in God's Word, he spends time in prayer, spends time with the things of God, pursuing God. God changes him from the inside out. Uh, Jeremy Monroe has the same testimony. You'll see him baptized He's the one who will displace the most water in the tank here. Very, very large guy. But he, 
Yeah, uh, he says, you know, Gary, I'm, I'm changing. People tell me I'm changing. I'm becoming nicer. He says, my wife likes it. I said, of course. She, wives like it when, when we change and, and we become nicer. But that, I said, that's the spirit of God in you transforming your life from inside out. So we need to know what God's reality is, what his truth is. We need to reckon it to be true in our lives. And then the action step, we need to present ourselves as, as his instruments of righteousness. And actually, that's, that's what these folks are doing this morning. They reach that point in their life when they, they want to take that next step of obedience. And, and they want to be baptized as a public proclamation of what Christ has already accomplished in their lives. And, and baptism is the picture. It is, it is the, the visual uh, for Romans 6. What is, the, what is the piece of it when, uh, when somebody goes under the water? Uh, what does that depict? From Romans 6 here. What's that? Burial. Yeah, death and burial. Christ's death and burial. And in, in our experience, bound up with Christ. Christ's death and burial. They, they go under the water. What happens when, he, when they come up out of the water? Christ's resurrection. And, and the same resurrection power that uh, brought Christ out of the grave is the same resurrection power that you and I have available to us. So our experience is bound up with Christ. Baptism is a, is a picture of that. And, and we're about to see that right now. I've asked uh, Mike Brister, uh, one of our elders here, to, to help with baptism. And, uh, and Mike is going to begin that process now.